the last 30 years, this man has done more different ministries than I believe any person at Lancaster Baptist Church. Whether it was to be the principal of Lancaster Baptist School, whether it's to be a deacon, whether it is to help pastor with whatever project, whether it's to work on maintenance, whether it's to be a college dean, whether it's to be a college professor, whether it's to be a soul winner, whether it's to help his pastor in whatever is needed to be done. Brother Hauk has filled the need. Now, his life verse is, faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. No one I know has been called to do more ministries than I've ever known in any ministry than Brother Hal. And I really do mean this. The guy has been wherever pastor has needed him to be. And in each one of those, faithful is he, you know what? God called me to do it. God's going to help me do it. And I really have to tell you, I, by the way, he's helped with Joshua camps. He helps with Brother Stens. Whatever is needed, Brother Hauk is there. That willingness, that flexibility, and that willingness to be stretched, uh, college students, is a phenomenal example for all of us that are planning to be laborers in the harvest. Because i got to tell you, where you think, oh, God calls me here, faithful is he who calleth me, who also will do it, I'm going to be this. Well, let me tell you, that probably will have 1,500 job descriptions underneath it. And you got to know, God, you called me. I'm not equipped to do this, but you called me to do this. Therefore, I know that you're going to do it. So let's thank the Lord for God's faithfulness, but a guy who is willing to take the step of faith and allow the Lord to work in his life. So today, Brother Hauk, we're thankful to have you. Let's give him a nice round of applause. Good to have Brother Hauk with us today. All right, remain standing for just a moment. Take your Bibles. Well, I'll tell you what, just be, go ahead and be seated because we're going to be reading lots of scriptures. So that's why it's a Bible college, amen? Okay. All right, turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And while you're turning there, um, I want to say this. It is a joy and it is a privilege to serve the Lord. And there is no greater calling, bar none, than to be serving in the Lord's work. And um, we're not God's gift for the ministry. God gift, gifted us by putting us into the ministry. And I think we need to realize that. Um, and we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit today. And... As we open up to 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, this is a time when Elijah's ministry has come to an end. He has uh, done some marvelous things. Um, you can't think of Elijah but thinking about Mark, Mount Carmel and how they, he called down fire from heaven. God brought the fire and how he killed the 450 prophets of Baal, and how he ran, outran Ahab's chariot to the entrance of Jezreel. And um, talk about a marathoner, he was moving. 
But we come to this point to where he is now in his last moments, his last hours of his ministry and life, at least to this point. He was a great prophet. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha is with him. And in verse 1 it says there, And it came to pass when Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went uh, with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view far off. And the two stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither. So they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his clothes and rent them in pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan and took the mantle Elijah that, of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. When we look at this passage, what an awesome picture of the transfer of the mantle. But I want you to take note of what Elisha said when he picked up the mantle, and he began to walk back to the Jordan River, and when he came to that river, just as Elijah had said or had done a few moments before, 
he struck the waters of the Jordan and asked the question, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Well, let me just say this. I don't have any worries about where the Lord God of Elijah is because he is still here. He's the same God that Elijah had is the same God we have today. But that's not my question this morning. My question to you this morning is this. Where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? Where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? You see, Elisha picked up the mantle and took Elijah's place. Young people, let me tell you something. Generations come and go. And um, some of us, we're getting closer to going than coming. But some of you are just coming. But are you willing to take up the mantle this morning? Are you willing to become an Elijah of the Lord God? Now, let's pray and we'll look at the rest of this. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for the privilege we have to serve. And yet, Lord, my heart is burdened for this next generation. My heart is burdened for who will become the Elijahs of the Lord God. So many Christians have refused or have ignored the call. But God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts today. I pray that we would take up the mantle and follow you. And I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? I want you to see three challenges this morning from Elijah's life that we must consider. We must consider this. First of all, the call of the person. Notice in verse 14, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. Elisha picked up the mantle. Now, here's a question. Where does God look for those who will come and pick up the mantle? Where does he look? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, where he isn't going to look. He's not going to look among the unsaved because they're not qualified. They're not even saved. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. God is looking to his own people. Every child of God should consider God's call. Now, a lot of young people, I think sometimes think the call of God is going to be some, you know, fireworks display in their life and God's going to write it in a cloud across the sky. No, that's not how it's going to happen. It starts by volunteering. 
God is looking for volunteers. God can't use a servant who's not willing. And so he's looking for the volunteers. The call of God begins when we are willing to volunteer. Now, I know some of you, you're here for one-year Bible, and then you may be moving on to somewhere else. But before you consider what else, why don't you consider, God, what would you do with me? God, if I'm willing and I volunteer, will you use me? And I guarantee you, you volunteer, I'm sure God will use you. But I think we're afraid. Now, how does one qualify? <laughs> it's very simple. Pick up the mantle. Just pick it up. Elisha could have stayed in Gilgal. Elijah told him, stay in Gilgal. Elisha didn't. He went to Bethel. He, he then said, well, you just stay here in Bethel. He says, I'm not leaving you. He could have stayed in Bethel. He could have stayed in Jericho. He could have stayed on the other side of the Jordan. But instead, he stayed with Elijah. And when Elijah went up in that whirlwind and that chariot of fire came down and took him up, in the presence of Elisha, the mantle of Elijah fell almost as if to say, here's the invitation Here's what you've desired. Now pick it up. Are you willing to pick up the mantle? Say, but Brother Hawk, I got my own plans. Yeah? What about your Redeemer's plans? What is his plans? Well, I know his plan was he wanted to save me. Yeah, he saved you. But do you think the plan stops there? No, not at all. So look, you got to pick up the mantle. The mantle was a cloak or an, a, a coat, a coat, sometimes made of some kind of fur. Uh, John the Baptist, he had camel's hair. Um, it might not have been a soft type of garment. It was one that was put on the outside of the other clothes. It was in particular here, it was in reference to a prophet's garment. In other words, this, this garment often identified a prophet or a man of God. The mantle was a symbol of the anointing of God on his life. It was a symbol of the fact that he was willing to take up the responsibilities and the call that God had brought to his life. It's similar to Moses' rod. Remember what God said to Moses? I want you to go and deliver my people. He says, Lord, I, I can't do that. He says, what do you got in your hand? Well, it's a shepherd's crook. It's a shepherd's rod. He says, throw it down. Throw it down, turned into a snake. I would have loved to have seen that. It says, it says, Moses fled from it. And then God said to Moses, turn around and pick it up. And I think about the time he turned around, the snake turned around too. 
And he grabbed it by the tail and turned back into that crook, that rod. And every time you see Moses doing something, the rod that he carried represented what God was going to do through him, just like the mantle. I think of David. When I think of David, I think of the shepherd's crook. And I think of his sling. The sling was a weapon. The sling he was willing to pick up when nobody else in Israel would go out and fight Goliath. David says, is there not a cause? Shouldn't somebody go out and shut his mouth up who's defying the armies of the living God? Nobody would go. So God sent a 17-year-old who wasn't even old enough to be in the military yet to fight against Goliath. Will you pick up the mantle? You say, well, what's... We don't have a mantle today. Yes, we do. We have an identity also. We have an identity in the Word of God. That's our ident identity. Our identity is as true believers and as Baptist. A lot of people don't like the name Baptist. A lot of young people that say, well, why do we have to have the name Baptist? I'll tell you why, because there's a lot of Baptists that shed their blood for the cause of Christ. I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to affiliate with a Protestant, and I'm not going to affiliate with a Catholic. They're the ones who burned us at the stake and drowned us. Why? Because we held true to the Word of God. And somebody in your generation has, has to stand up and hold forth the Word of God. Are you going to pick up the mantle? Are you going to identify with the word of God? Our mantle, our identity, are as the ones who hold to the faith that was once delivered to the saints, Jude 3. But here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid many have been called by God, but they've refused to go. And like Jonah, they're running from God. Young people, let me tell you something. I don't think God would call less men and women to serve him with their lives when the population is growing. By the time you get out of college and graduate, the population of this earth could be close to 8 billion people. Just a few years ago, we were at the 7 billion mark. We're now approaching the 8 billion mark. Who's going to pick up the mantle and go tell them about Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation? He's not going to call the world. It's got to come among us. Now, what don't you need to be an Elijah of God? 
Well, first of all, you don't need necessarily talent. You don't need smarts, necessarily. Now, I'm not saying if you got those, you're not qualified. But I'm just saying, sometimes we, we shortchange ourselves. We think, well, I don't have this ability. I don't have that talent. I'm not real athletic. I'm not, I'm not a computer whiz. I'm not this or that. Let me tell you something. All you need is to have a willing heart and let the power of God do what he wants to do in your life. And I'm afraid sometimes we look for excuses. Listen to what, what, what God said in 1 Corinthians 1.25. He says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, <clears throat> for ye see your calling, brother, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble, are called. Let me say this. If God calls, God also enables. Now, I always find it amusing because I think all the, all the students think that every one of us that teach in the college were straight-A students in college. Man, are you wrong. The only thing I saw an A on my report card in college was for was for athletics. Because I played soccer, I got an automatic A. And a lot of times, I wasn't always playing. I was standing on the sideline, okay? But here's the thing. You may not be a straight-A student. And God didn't say you had to have straight-A's to be used in the ministry. Now, praise God if you are. Be thankful for what God has provided for you. But let me just say this. Don't let what you think is a life that maybe doesn't have a lot to offer and just go on and say, well, God needs to use somebody else who's maybe more talented or has more ability. No, he's looking for those who are just common folk. Look, David was just a shepherd boy working out in the fields. He was the runt of the family. Elijah, we don't even know where Elijah came from. He's just a Tishbite. That's all it says. It doesn't say a whole lot about his background. <clears throat> now, don't be afraid of the call of God. In fact, Philippians 4.13, we quote this all the time. I can do what? All things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's a promise. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4, 4 through 6, it says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, for our sufficiency is of God. The sufficiency you need, all that you need to serve God is from God. <coughs> okay? It's not, he's not necessarily looking for who has the most talent and all that. He's just looking for somebody who says, Lord, just take me and through your sufficiency, I want to be used. Ephesians 3.16, that we would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. God's the one who's going to give you the strength. God's the one who's going to give you the fortitude. God's going to be the one who will get you through 
the trials, get you through the issues. And by the way, that's what he's teaching some of you right now in college. He's teaching you how to pray for your finances. He's teaching you how to make it through when it gets pretty rough. And all of a sudden, you have 15 projects due in one day. I think some of you think that the, the teachers get together and we conspired that we're all going to have our projects due on the same day. That just doesn't happen. It's just the way it happens, okay? God directed that. So some of you won't procrastinate till the night before to do your project. All right? <coughs> now, we see the call of the person. But I want you to see next. And by the way, God will enable if you surrender. But notice the next thing, the consecration of the prophet. Just, I want you to just take note of some of the things in Elijah's life today. First of all, Elijah was a man of faith. He had great faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> and it doesn't name his name, but it's, it talks about, uh, in verse 32, he says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also uh, and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of, his, of the sword, are, are out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. In other words, God says, these men were victorious. These women were victorious. Why? Because they were men and women of faith. He didn't say talent there. Man, do you think Noah was an expert engineer and carpenter? No, I think he, he was on the job training. You try to build a, a boat 450 feet long. 150 feet wide, 45 feet high. Good night. You talk about a task. And then you got your neighbors complaining. <laughs> Noah, will you get that lumber off my property line, please? Those men are in the hall of faith because of their faith. And by the way, their faith wasn't always strong. Abraham failed at times in his faith. But it only takes the grain of a mustard seed of faith to move mountains. What is it going to take to move you from just sitting and pick up the mantle? He was a man of faith. Because he was a man of faith, he was also a man of great obedience. In 1 Kings chapter 17, <clears throat> verse 1, it says, And Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. 
And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And then he, he tells him there, It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. Every step of Elijah's life, he went according to the word of the Lord. The only time he didn't really stick with what God told him to do is when he got a death threat from a woman. <clears throat> I mean, he killed 450 prophets of Baal, called down fire, and, and ran a marathon. And the next day, Jezebel threats him, threatens him, and he takes off into the wilderness. And let me just remind you of something. Elijah was just a man just like you and me. He was no different. He had the fears. He had he had the same issues. In fact, we'll see in a minute, it says he was a man of what? Like passions as we are. There was nothing different about Elijah except for one thing. He was a man of faith and he was willing to obey the word of God and do what God told him to do. Except for the one time he was so worn out physically and tired that he made a bad decision and ran off in the wilderness. And by the way, I know he wasn't wanting to die because he said he got under the juniper tree and pitched a pity party there in Juniper Jungle. And, and while he's pitching his pity party, he says, I'm no better than my father's, just kill me. Well, if he wanted to die, Jezebel would have taken care of it. But he was discouraged, okay? He got discouraged. He got tired. He got into self-pity. Well, Lord, you know, I'm the only one that stands for you all the prophets are gone and dead. I'm the only prophet. <coughs> and then God said, well, I've got 7,000 in the land that haven't bent, bent their knee to Baal. He was a man of like passions. He was a man that obeyed. You say, well, man, how am I going to build my faith? How, how am I going to do that? How am I going to be willing, make myself willing to be obedient to God? Simple, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You read about these men of God in the Bible and read about how they just applied faith and then see what God did. That'll increase your faith and that will increase your obedience. The Christian life, young people, is simply obeying the directions of the Holy Spirit and his leading through the word of God. It's that simple. Or as pastor often says, obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what's so, that's what's so amazing. We think, man, we got to do this and that, and I've got I've to be strong in this and that. No, you just obey the, the Holy Spirit's leading through the Word of God, and he'll take care of the rest. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, an honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. In other words, you get in the word of God, God will show you if you're going the wrong direction. God will show you to go in the right direction. God will direct us. So we see he had a great faith, he had a great obedience, he had a great prayer life. <clears throat> When's the last time you prayed and held rain off for three and a half years? 
Now listen to what it says in James 5, 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Look, you talk about prayer power, but how did he do that? He prayed. You know, we talk a lot about prayer, but are we praying? I think sometimes we're afraid to pray because when we pray in light of what the Word of God says, we're afraid God may ask us to do something we don't want to do. <clears throat> By the way, if he asks you to do it, he'll give you the power to do it. Don't fear, fear that. He had great prayer life, which made him a man of great courage. I don't believe Elijah's courage came from his self. The flesh is not that courageous. Most of the time, we act cowardly. But look what it says. In, in 1 Kings 18, he, he confronts Ahab. <clears throat> and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Now, this is the king talking, okay? <clears throat> And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. And then he, he challenges them to a contest. Elijah's boldness and courage was not of his self, but it was through the power of God and, and the message that God gave him through his word. Look, here's your power this morning, folks, right here. That's what the Holy Spirit will use. You and I are the mouthpiece, but here's the real power, is the word of God. And believe me, it's powerful. It can comfort. It can convict. It can bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, this book has power. And so, Elijah's boldness came from the words that God gave to him that he obeyed and spoke to Ahab. I want you to keep in mind Philippians 2, 15 and 16. Here's what it says. This, this applies right to us. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. <coughs> now let me, let me say something. That was written almost 2,000 years ago, but it still applies today. Are we living in a crooked nation full of darkness? Are we? Yes. Is God's power any less today than it was 2,000 years ago in Paul's day? No. In fact, look at the next verse. How are we to be shining lights to the world today? Very simple. Holding forth the word of life. That's this book right here. You stand up and you preach this book and you teach this book and you live by this book and you will be a shining light. In fact, you'll stand out like a sore thumb. He tells us we're to be a peculiar people. We're strangers and pilgrims and sojourners. Why? Because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. But while we're passing through, he wants us 
to pick up the mantle and be used of God. He has a purpose for us. I think it was Amy Carmichael that said this. Yet surely there must be some who will fling aside the cowardly love of peace and speak out for our Lord and for his truth. A craven spirit is upon man and their tongues are paralyzed Oh, for an outburst of true faith and holy zeal. I'm sorry, that was Charles Spurgeon who said that. Spurgeon said, look, we've got, we got all these people who are, just want peace. They don't want to speak out the word of God. When you speak out the word of God, guess what? There will be op- opposition. Amy Carmichael said this. The amazing thing is that everyone who reads the Bible has the same joyful thing to say about it. In every land, in every language, it is the same tale where the book is read, not with the eyes only, but with the mind and heart. The life is changed. Sorrowful people are comforted. Sinful people are transformed. Peoples who were in darkness walk in the light. Is it not wonderful to think that this book which is such a mighty power if it gets a chance to work in an honest heart is in our hands today. You got the power right here. Use it. And pick up the mantle. Where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? Finally, notice this, the capacity of power that he had. 1 Kings 18 and verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. You say, man, I wish I had power like that. You do. You just haven't tapped into it. Power's right here. The power is the Holy Spirit living within you that has promised to give you everything you need to serve Christ. Now, Why did Elijah have such power and influence? Why were Elijah and Elisha great prophets of God? First and very simple, they were surrendered. They surrendered their life and gave it to God. Romans 12.1 says it, I think, the best. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present 
your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God says it's reasonable that we serve. It's reasonable that we give ourselves and surrender ourselves to him. By the way, that's the best way you can go. You surrender to God, man, he's going to plow the way for you. It doesn't mean you won't have trials and troubles, but I'll tell you this, <laughs> he'll be right there. And he'll use those trials and he'll use those difficulties to mold you and to make you into a man and a woman of God. Look, who's going to take Brother Stensis's place? Who's going to take some of the older preachers that are getting to the point where they, they can't get in the pulpit and preach anymore? Who's going to take their place? God's not looking at the world. He's looking at us. He's looking at you. Who's going to pick up the mantle? Who are going to be the Elijahs of the Lord God for this generation? Who's going to be the ones in this generation that will surrender and say, God, I'll go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's very simple. How do I surrender? Be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wearing his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, let the Spirit have full and complete control of your life. Let him have your will. Surrender your will for his will. It's that simple. It's not a hard thing. What's hard is that we're not willing to surrender. But you know, you find out when you do surrender, you think, why did I wait so long? I've had people who... who have been saved who tell me, you know, I, was, I fought the gospel for years and I finally got saved. And now I look back and I think, why did I wait? And some of you are going to look back and say, why did I wait? Or some who maybe will never give themselves over to the Lord until later on and say, why did I wait so long? And by the way, I know God's tugging on hearts this morning. You're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here. And for some of you, this is the turning point. This is the point where you've got to make a decision. And that's the second part. Not only a surrendered life, but they were willing to live a separated life. The Bible says that be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm going to tell you something. God's agenda and God's will is not the same as the world's agenda and will. And, and some of you are enamored with the things of the world. Those are the very things that probably would keep you from salvation and will keep you from serving and enjoying your fellowship and your walk with God because you're still enamored with the things of the world. The world will try to steal you away. They'll try to steal you away from God's will. They'll try to steal you away from God's service. Satan wants your mind. Satan wants your life. And ultimately, 
wants to destroy it. And so here's the challenge. Elijah gave it. 1 Kings 18.21 And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. I think they couldn't answer him because they knew he was right. And they knew they were wrong. And they were ashamed. But you and I must choose that today too. If the Lord be God, then what? Are you going to follow him? Or are you going to follow Baal? Are you going to follow your desires of the flesh? Are you going to desire and go the way of the world and the way of Satan? Or will you live for the glory of God? Will you serve him and will you give him your whole heart and will you surrender and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I give myself to you. Will you heed God's will and call and die to self and serve the Lord? Let me summarize this whole message with this. C.T. Studd said this. I want you to listen. It's a long quote, but I want you to listen. Believing that further delay would be sinful, some of God's insignificance and nobody's in particular, but trusting in our omnipotent God have decided on certain simple lines according to the book of God to make a definite attempt to render the evangelization of the world an accomplished fact. The hour of God has struck. In God's holy name, let us arise and build. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock sayings of Christ. And the gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as we fear, such, uh, such, uh, su should such men as we fear before the world, the whole world, I before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby Christian world, we will dare to trust our God. We will venture our all for him. We will live and we will die for him. And we will do it with, the, with his joy unspeakable, singing aloud in our hearts. We will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than live trusting in man. And when we come to this position, the battle is already won and the end of the glorious campaign in sight. We will have the real holiness of God. Not the sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts. We will have a masculine holiness and one of daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. Will you take the mantle up today?
will you be an Elijah for the Lord God? Father, come to you. Lord, I don't know what you want to do with this message, but I know there are young people who maybe have been resisting to do your will, resisting to surrender. And Lord, until they do, they will not be at peace and they will not be joyful as Christians. God, I pray we need young people to give themselves and to accept your call and take up the mantle. God, I pray you'd work in hearts. Heads bowed and eyes closed. What's God speaking to you about today? Are you willing to surrender? Or are you going to keep fighting? Some of you may have already surrendered. You've given your life. Make sure God hasn't, or the devil hasn't tried to rob that from you. You might not need to resurrender. You might need to rededicate that, that commitment that you made. And others, God may be specifically calling you to something specific today. Do what God is showing you and leading you to do with this invitation.